right, if you got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. Um, you should have gotten some notes. If you didn't have some notes, um, we, we have some notes in the back. But uh, the, the title of today's message is, What Do You Need? What Do You Need? How many mamas do I got in the house? How many mamas I got in the house? Yeah, let's give it up for all the mamas in the house. Come on. I got a lot, of, I got a lot, a lot, a lot of props I give to mamas. Uh, a couple weekends ago, my wife and Miss Tracy went to Seattle, uh, not Seattle, St. Louis for a women's conference. And so she's like, baby, you know, you're going to have the boys for three days. And I was like, I got that. Three boys. It's going to be man night for three nights. I mean, we're going we gonna to eat good. Taco Bell and Pizza Hut and, you know, all the basic food groups. And so, so we, uh, you know, I had them for three nights and it came down to Saturday night and she was getting in at like 11 at night and uh, she strolled in at 11, you know, five into the house and I was still sitting in the bed and she's like, hey babe, how did it go? I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I need a vacation. I need to get out of this house. Everything that I, that she says to me when I text her, I'm coming home. So when I'm coming home, the one thing I say is, baby, I'm coming home. And the next thing is, what do you need? I ask it every time I come home, what do you need? What do you need? And so sometimes she'll say, you capitalized. And I'm looking to see if it's like a winky face. Cause I'm like, I'm home. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyways, she's not here. So I can't embarrass her. And so, but if there's no winky face, that means something different. That means I need you here because I'm about to kill somebody. Like with hands, you know? And, and so I've had a, there's been a couple of times I've walked in and she's like, I'm gone. I'm just gone. And I'm like, where are you going? She's like, I don't know. I have no clue where I'm going. These kids are needy. They need everything. They wake up and they need something. All throughout the day, they need something. I mean, they don't stop with the questions. Today, she texted me and she said, I'm telling you, if they ask me what time we're going to church, if they ask me what time this, I, she's like, I can't handle it. I was like, we got to get them a watch. We got to get the boys a watch. She's like, they just always need something. How many know your kids always wake, you wake up and they're in your face needing something? Something. They need something. They're needy, needy people. And I'm just waiting for the day. I'm waiting for the day that my boys will come up to me or Lindsay and say, hey, mom, dad, listen, what do you need? Come on, how many still waiting for that day? Anybody? <laughs> Hadn't happened yet. I'm going to tell my boys I got to listen to this sermon, though. I'm just letting you know right now. What do you need, babe? What do, what, what do you need, dad? Dad, is there anything I can do for you? I have yet to have that question be asked of me. I, it's, it's not there. And so I am, uh, I'm really uh, excited about where we're going to go today with this message. So, oh, that's terrible. That, oh, well, it's all good. They're going to have to just take notes. Man, they were good notes too. That's all right. All right, so here we go. Um, I, I, I want to I ask this question today, because I think just as much as our kids are always asking us, um, hey, you know, can you do this? And they're always needing something from us. I wonder if that translates spiritually to we're always needing something from God. Majority of our prayers are God do this for me. God do that for me. God do this for me. God do that. I need this. I need that. I need that. And I wonder if God ever just wonders, when are they going to ask me? What I need. When are they going to get up in the morning and go, God, what do you need? Because most of our prayers, most of what we do is, is really honestly self-centered. We, we want God to you know, meet our needs. We talked a little bit about that this weekend. But a lot of it is, is, is centered around our needs. And listen, by the way, God loves supplying your needs. He, he loves meeting your needs. We see that all throughout Scripture. I don't think he has a problem with that in any regards. He's a great father. He's a better father than me. 
And, you know, he doesn't get flustered with his kids like, like we do with our own. He's, he's just a, he's the best dad ever. But I wonder if sometimes if he ever wants to ask the question, you ever ask me what I need? And so I want to begin today with kind of us answering tonight with that, that question, what does God need? So here's point number one, okay, ready? Point number one is God doesn't need anything. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> God doesn't need anything. Now that, that sounds a little weird because you just, Pastor Josh, you just said that what, is, what does God need? Well, he, he really doesn't need anything. I mean, the truth is, is he's self-sufficient. He's, he's um, self-sustaining. He's self-sustaining. Um, he's, I mean, he just, he doesn't need anything. I, I remember a couple, a couple months ago, our family went to Colorado where Joel's doctor is. And, and so we made a family trip of it. My wife absolutely loves the mountains. She just loves everything about that place. And, and we had a little cabin area in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. And, and, and Lindsay and I would, in, in the mornings, go on that cabin porch and just talk, read our Bibles together. She'd drink coffee. And, and it, it was just an awesome time, except when the kids would come out because they need something, which happened often. But anyways, just looking at the mountain and the landscape of it all, I mean, honestly, I, I had a thought, God, you're so huge. Like, you, you spoke all this. Like, everything. I mean, this is gorgeous. You look at all this, and you did all this. Like, you don't need us. Like, everything that we have is because, the breath that I wake up with is because of you. Like, everything that, that exists is because of you. You don't need us. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, I do need you. And, I, you know, and I'm kind of wrestling through this because theology 101, if you ever take theology, the, the very beginning of theology would tell you that God doesn't need us. He's coexistent. He had the Trinity. He's, he's perfectly fine. He, he wasn't lonely and like, I need people. He wasn't like that way. God, God worked. I mean, even Acts 17, 25 says, and human hands can't serve God's needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. And so... Okay, God, look, you know, sometimes I got to remind God what his word says. Hey, it says you have no needs. But yeah, I, I kept feeling God telling me that I need you, which actually goes into point number two, and that is God needs you. So God doesn't need anything, but yet God needs you. So let me clarify this because this can get very, very confusing. See, God doesn't need you to exist, but God needs you to coexist. He doesn't need you to, to do what he does, but he, let me put it a different way. He loves to partner with you. He partners with us. And so I want to take you into scripture and show you how God partners with us, how he needs us. Genesis chapter two, the very beginning of the Bible, um, where, where God has birthed everything. He's spoken things into existence. You have this familiar passage in Genesis chapter 2, and I want to read it before you, and it says this. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. And now I want you to watch this. And he brought them to the man. This is a key part right here. If you've got some little notes in your Bible, the man. He, he brought them to the man. Now watch this. To see what he would call them. Who? The man. The man would call, and watch, and, and the man chose a name for each one. 
The man chose the name for it. So listen, because of Adam, you get hippopotamus. <laughs> it's, it's the truth. Think about how, how much of a genius Adam was. I mean, think about it. The, the Bible, you know, speaks about how God is all-knowing. So God's a genius. And, of course, if he's going to create people that are going to coexist with him, he's going to create geniuses. Which, by the way, the only, th- only reason why we're not as smart as Adam was is because of sin. Sin makes us stupid, by the way. Just want to let you know that. And so God made Adam, and he gave Adam the task of, Adam, you're going to name every, every animal. And so you get awesome names like, you know, hippopotamus. If you go in and you read a little bit further on, it says that Adam began to fall asleep. Can you imagine the, <laughs> the amount of work it takes to name every animal? Every one. I mean, he had some awesome ones, starting off the bat with hippopotamus. You know, you're getting into orangutan. I mean, there's some good ones. I think as he started, honestly, this is just the way that I interpreted it. As he started getting more tired and more sleepy, it got a little bit more basic. I think as he started kind of drifting asleep and he's getting all exhausted, I honestly think the birds were some of the last ones. I'll tell you why. Because I think he was a little creative with the birds. You know, you got falcon. That's awesome. Eagle. That's amazing. But I think as he's getting kind of just a little exhausted, I think he's like, blue. <laughs> I mean, he's falling asleep a little bit on the couch. Black. And I think his eyes are kind of shutting, and he goes, what, what is it? Humming. Hmm. That's just the way I interpret it. I don't know that actually. That's not biblical, but I, that's how I see it. So here's the question. Why did God ask Adam to name the animals? Because God could have said, and the Bible says that Adam and God walked in the garden together. God could have said, hey, Adam, come over here. See that over there? That's giraffe. That's a giraffe, okay? See that over there? That's a rhino. See that? He could have done that, but he didn't. He let Adam choose all the names. Why? Why did God let Adam choose all the names? Why? Because he decided that he needed him. He needed him. He, he decided to partner with Adam and let Adam do the choosing. God needed Adam. So here's the question that I have. If God needs us to partner with us, do you think the enemy knows that? And do you think that he doesn't do everything in his power to get you to realize that God doesn't need you? Let me show you. 1 Samuel chapter 17, in verse 4, is the story of David and Goliath. It's a very familiar story. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4, it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Now, I want you to see this. I'm kind of a numbers, numbers guy. I, uh, I, I took all honors math. So I, I like numbers. I always do that. And, and so anytime I see numbers in scripture, it always jumps out with me. And I want to show you something, something I hadn't really seen until I began to read this. And it says his height. Now, this is speaking of Goliath. His height was six cubits. All right, six. Underline that, six cubits. That means about nine feet, a little more than nine feet. Uh, six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders, and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head, now watch this, weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Now I want you to see this. There was, it was, he was six cubits tall. The number of pieces of armor, can you guess how many? 
six pieces of armor, and 600 shekels. Six, six, six. Have you ever heard those numbers before? Those are the numbers of man. I, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that Goliath was the Antichrist, but he was anti-God, which is the spirit of the Antichrist, is anti-God. And Goliath says this. This is what he says in verse 9. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And I wonder, I wonder if Satan is really kind of having a conversation with God in this. I wonder if Satan is telling God, listen, oh, I got God, I got you figured out. (laughs) I got your whole plan. I got it all figured out here that you use people. That's how you're going to do your will. You're going to use people. And so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up the largest, biggest man on earth and no one, no man will ever be able to beat him. He will rule. And and, and he goes on, he says, if I win, I get, you all are slaves to me. And so I, I, I think there's this conversation that's happening yet again in my imagination between Satan and God because he thinks he's got God stumped. But, but I love how God works because God says, I don't even need a man. I got a boy. <laughs> I got a boy. And guess what? Here's a really cool thing about this boy. I've been grooming him and training him for this moment. How many of you know God sees the Goliath in your life way before you do? He is training and grooming you before you even know it. And God is there and he's going, listen, I don't even need a man. I got a boy that's going to defeat this man. God knew it. Now, here's the question. Could God have sent a lightning bolt to kill Goliath right there? Boom. Could he have? Yes. But why didn't he? He could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he needs you. Because he decided to partner with man to do what he's called him to do. So God doesn't need anything. He's self-sufficient. He's self-existent. Doesn't need anything. But he does need you. Which actually leads me to point number three, if you want to take notes, is do you need God? Do you need God? So I'm going to give you some sub-points underneath this idea of do you need God. Let me give you some sub-points here. Here we go. We're going to get good here. Ready? God is never going to do our part. God is never going to do our part. A lot of time we are praying that God would do our part. So a lot of times they're going, God, help me with my marriage. My marriage is falling apart. And God says this, God says, listen, I told you if husbands, if you would love your wife as Christ loved the church and wife, if you would honor your husband as Christ honored the church, then you would be all right. You need to do your part. God's got your part. You say, God, God, help me with my finances. And God says, well, why are you stealing from me? If you would stop stealing from me, then maybe the blessings of God could flow into your life. God, 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 help me on this test. And God says, hey, study. We're asking God to do our part. God will never do our part. He'll never do our part. There is a part that you and I have to play, and God is looking for people to partner with, but God is never going to do your part. Let me give you number two. Our part is never supernatural. Our part is never supernatural. And this is good news. This is really good news because you don't have to do the supernatural part. We are natural people connected to a supernatural God, but we never have to do the supernatural part. What was David's job in in the fighting of Goliath? Pick the stones, sling the stone, and sling it. That's his part. 
God's part was to take that stone and then place it exactly where it needed to go to kill Goliath. God did that part. Moses, when he split the, split the sea, what was his part? Take your stick <laughs> and raise it. Okay, you know, you've been watching all the movies and it's like, yeah, you know, in the waters. I think it was like this. Hmm? I really, that's how I picture it. It was just kind of, hmm. <laughs> we make it super spiritual, you know, like, let the waters. I think he was like, oh, you mean that? Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, y'all see this? Y'all see this? That's how, that's, that's how his part was. Look with me in Matthew chapter 9. Look at this. Matthew 9, verse 36 and 38 says, When Jesus looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless, they were like sheep with no shepherd. Now watch this. Now watch this. What a huge harvest. This is what Jesus says. Man, what a huge harvest. Oh my goodness, there's so many people. And he said to his disciples, but how few workers. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. So this is what scripture tells us is that God's already done the work. He just needs people to go out and bring it in. The work's already done. Just go out and bring people in. Just go and do your part. Our part's not supernatural. God's not going to do our part. We got a part to play. And God is saying, listen, if you will go do the natural, I've already done the supernatural. They're already ready. People are already ready. And I look across our church and I look over the span of the last 17 years for us as a church. And can I say so much of what God has done in our church has been us just doing natural things and God putting his super on our natural. Amen. Come on, when Pastor Bob and Miss Tracy came here and planned this church, it was totally in faith just going, I'm going to step out and do and just believe. I don't know how this is going to pan out. I don't know how we're going to have the money to do. I don't know where the people are going to come, but I'm just going to go. And here we are 17 years later. And how many are glad they stepped out and did the natural and God put a super on the natural. Years ago, I remember passing Jennings Elementary, and, and God told me this. this is what, and I, I would always pray for that school. I'd always pray for that school every time because I had to pass it going to my house. And I'd say, God, just do a revival there. God, just show up there. God, speak to those students. God, use those teachers in a mighty way. And this is what God asked me. Go inside and ask them what they need. Say what? Go inside and just ask them what they need. So I walked in there, and that's, that was what I did. I just walked in and said, hey, what, what do I need? What do you, what do you need, God? What, what, is, I mean, what is God? I didn't call the principal God. <laughs> it was Dr. Coleman at the time. So what do you need? And here we are, listen, here we are almost 10 years later, and God has given our church supernatural favor in almost every school in this parish. We're about to do a backpack thing for all the schools. We're all the stuff. That, and here's how it started. What do you need? What do you need? The flood hit. What do we do? We just help people. We just help people. It's not supernatural. It's natural. But God puts his super on the natural. Come on, y'all with me? There's people in your life right now that God is ready to radically do a thing in their life. They're waiting on for you to say, hey, would you come to me with church? That's your part. It's not nothing supernatural. It's just natural. Hey, you want to come sit with me? And how many people in here can testify that because someone did an invite and did the natural, your life has changed supernaturally? Can I get an amen on this one? Are y'all with me here? God's going, listen, the harvest is plentiful. This city is ready. This area is ready. You just go get them. Like the work is done in that regards. You don't have to grow the people. You just got to go and get them. 
So he's saying our part is never supernatural. And people that have changed the world were not the most gifted. They were the most willing. Let me say that again. People who changed the world were not the most gifted. They were the most willing. I, I, I talked to a guy here that's here in our church, and I told him today, I said, you know what? Seeing all that God's doing in our church right now, it's not natural. It's not natural at all. It's supernatural. And the thing that humbles me is I know I'm not that good. I, I know that God is not doing anything in this church outside of what he is. It's all about him. It's what God is doing in this church through ordinary people. And, and don't ever forget the fact that your neighborhood, your schools, your workplaces, don't ever es- underestimate the significance of what you can do in those places. You are a missionary in those places. And if you just do the natural and you just shine for Jesus, come on, you know, God's going to do the supernatural. So we, our part is, is, is never supernatural. Here's, here's your last one. Our part is first. Our part is first. You know, a lot of people are mad at God because he's not doing his part. God, why aren't you doing it? God, I know that you got the power to do this. You could, you could just rain down money right now and just put it in my bank account. Could he? Yes. How many would like that to happen? I mean, anybody in here? Okay, I, make sure I'm not the only one. You could just heal this. You could just do this. You could, I mean, we, we have these prayers of what God, and could he? Yes, he could. But can I tell you the reason why he's not doing what he could be doing is because you haven't done first. Your part is the first part. See, God paid for all of our sins. God gave forgiveness to all of us. God put, put, seated us in heavenly places. God forgave us. God cleansed us. God blessed us. God said that he, his spirit is inside of us. Come on, how many know he's already done his part? How do we dare say that he hasn't done his? He's already done his part. He's waiting for us to do our part. And when we do our part, God does his part. When we move, God moves. But we're waiting for God to move, and then we'll say we move. Scripture says this. If you lay hands on the sick, they shall be healed. It does not say they shall be healed, and then you lay hands on the sick. But that's what we pray, right? We pray, God, you do your part, and then I'll step out and do my part. God, you show me all the details, and then I'll step out in faith. And God says, I don't work that way. You do your part first, and then God will do his part. Let me show you a couple verses. Matthew 6, Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. That's your part. That's my part. And here's what happens. Here's God's part. And all these things will be added to you. All the stuff that you're worried about, all the things that you need in your life. God says, listen, if you do your part and you seek me first and you put me first, then all this other stuff will work itself out. But we pray, God, you work all this stuff, stuff out and then I'll serve you. He says, I don't work that way. You serve me, you put me first in everything, and then you watch how I work everything out. Y'all see how this plays out? James chapter 4 last week, we, we, we brushed over this, and, and you might have missed this. But James chapter 4 verse 8 says, come close to God. Come close to God. Guess what? That's our part. And if we do that, what happens? He comes close to us. Right? I draw near to God. He draws near to me. I got I to do my part. And then God does his part. So here's, here's the question. What do you need right now? You, you know Maybe it's financial, maybe it's a marital issue, maybe it's something going on in your family, maybe it's something in your job. What do you need right now? Okay, so think about that. Here's the question to ask with that, though. 
Now ask God, what is my part? What's my part? Because you have a part to play in this. So the question we've got to ask is, God, am I doing my part? Am I doing my part? Remember, God won't do your part. Your part is not supernatural, but your part is first. So you've got to do your part first before God does his part. So let me show you how this works with Adam and with the story of David and Goliath. I want to go back to those two stories and we'll wrap up. So Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Let me ask you this. Doesn't it seem fair that one man's sin condemned the whole world? Does that seem a little unfair? Anybody in here? One man. Yeah, you're all in here. You're in church. You ain't going to say it's unfair. But you're going to walk out and you'll be like, yeah, that's really unfair. I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's unfair. Okay. Okay. I would have slapped Adam, right? Don't, don't, don't you touch that. Okay, but we weren't there. All right. So, so come on. Let's be honest. It's a little unfair that... That my great, 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 great grandfather sinned, and now I got to deal with his sin. That's unfair, right? Truth is, it's not unfair. It's genius. And only God could think of this. Watch this. This is by far the most brilliant thing that God could have thought of. Watch what verse 18 says. Yes. Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But (laughs) Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person, one man disobeyed God, many became sinners. That's all of us, right? Now watch this though. But, hold on, because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So since it only took one man to destroy it all, it only took one man to bring it all back. How awesome is that? That is the most brilliant thing ever. One man brought condemnation for everybody, but there was one man that came and he got it all back and his name's Jesus. Come on, how many thankful for Jesus? How many thankful that we don't have to work for it? We don't have to earn it. The first Adam lost it all, but the second Adam got it all back. And, and just as how it's unfair that we're all under the sin of one Adam, it's also very unfair that we're under the righteousness of one Jesus. And yet he gives it to us. How amazing is that? And then you go and you look in the story of Goliath. And I want to I finish with this last little part in, Goli- in uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 8 and 9. And it says, so this is what Goliath is now ranting. It says, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. This is Goliath. He's saying, Goliath says, why have you come out to draw up from battle for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Now watch this. Here we go. Choose a man for yourselves and let him. Now watch this. I want you to see this. Let him what? Come down to meet me. He used the wrong words. I'm going to show you why he used the wrong words in just a minute. Let him come down and meet me. And if he is able to fight with me, And he's able to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So yet again, going back to, I think, the story that I think Satan and God are having this conversation. 
And, and, and Satan's going, yeah, choose a man. Choose a man to fight me. If you choose a man that fights me and he wins, then, then you get all of us. But if my guy wins, I get all of you. You're always in captivity. And so Jesus says, yeah, I choose a man. Jesus. Whoa, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. <laughs> Satan's like, hold on now, listen, listen. That's not a man. That's God. And he says, oh, yeah, we could fix that. And Jesus who was God, came down to earth and became a man so that he could ultimately win the battle for us. Think about this. Jesus became a man. He disarmed principalities and powers. He destroyed the works of the devil to bring you and I back. So the ultimate David is a picture of what Jesus did for all of us. David defeated, one man defeated Goliath, but Jesus defeated death and sin in our lives. And we're so thankful for that one man who brought that into our lives. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you and I to go to heaven. He's done everything for us to be forgiven of sin. But listen, but you still have a choice. You still have a choice. God never sends anyone to hell. They choose it. I, 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 there's another way that we say it. God do, never sends people to hell. They, they choose it, but it's because they've chosen to pay for their own sins. Hell is a place for people who just choose to pay for their own sins. They have not chosen to receive the gift that God's given them. Y'all with me here? This is what God has done for us. God has decided to partner with you. Here's the question we've got to ask. But have you chosen to partner with him? He's chosen a partner with you. Have you chosen a partner with him? And so today, that's, God needs you. Can I put it another way? Your family needs you. Your neighborhood needs you. What would it look like if a family in a neighborhood says, God, we're going to be the one. We're going to be the one. We're going to stand for righteousness. What would it be like if, if you said, you know what, I'm going to be the one at my work. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one that's going to stand up for Christ. I'm going to be the one that's a light in this area. I'm going to be that one. What if it was like that in school? What was that like in whatever sphere of influence that you're in? What would it be like if you just said, you know what, I'm going to be the one. You know what, God can't, I, God's never going to do my part. I've got to do my part first. My part is natural, but I believe that when I do my part, God does the supernatural. God does the supernatural. This church is a picture of God doing supernatural unnatural. God loves using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The fishermen's were Jesus' disciples. They were the rejects. They were the ones who dropped out of school. The tax collectors were right up there with prostitutes. And guess who Jesus' team was made up of? Prostitutes, tax collectors, and fishermen. Sounds like he's got the dream team. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? The best of the best from the ghetto, all right? He did not. He chose the people that everybody said, there's no way. Count them all out. And I love it because then he takes those people and in turn, they change the world. What would it look like if one church in a city said, God, use us? It's not about us. God, use us. God, we'll do our part. We'll do our part. You do your part. When you move, God moves. When you do your part, God does his part. So I want us to do this tonight. I want us to bow our heads in this place. And I, this is what I want you to ask in this moment. This is what I want you to ask. 
I want you to ask God, God, how do I need to partner with you? How do I need to partner with you? And, and, and whatever you're struggling through right now, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, ask, God, what's my part? Maybe you're playing your part. Maybe you are doing your part. And, and it's just patience. God, God's not answering as, as fast as you would like it to be answered, but it's all right. God, God will show up. He will. He will answer. But, but maybe there's a part that you're not playing. Maybe you're praying, God, grow me. God, stretch me. God, increase my faith. But you're sitting, not doing anything. And God's going, you need, you need to step out. You need, to, you need to live a little beyond yourself. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe, maybe you need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe that's your part. Maybe you need to go make amends with certain relationships. Maybe it's just, you just need to be a, a godly employee. Stop complaining and just show up and do the best that you can and honor God. I don't know what it is. God does. So right now, just ask, God, what, what's my part? God, help me to partner with you. Father, I pray right now, Lord, for every person that's in this room. God, that you would speak to them. Show them their part. God, I pray that you would help them to partner with you. We thank you, God, that the purposes of God are fulfilled by the people of God. And we want to be able to say at the end of our lives, God, that we gave our lives away. God, that we were used mightily by you. And Lord, we know, God, that as we're being used by you, God, that it's not going to always be easy. It's a fight. God, it's a sacrifice. But God, how, how worth it is it? God, you're so worth it. You did your part. You gave your life for us. You gave your heart and, and, and everything that you had for us. So God, I pray, Lord, that we would respond the same way. God, it's all yours. It's all yours.